Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. run at the plate two outs in the ninth inning and a two ball two strike count Hendricks trying to dig deep here's his 2-2 Mazzara takes strike three called and a win a long time coming for the A's franchise Bob Melvin and his team earned this one what a win today and what a series win for the Oakland Athletics this is Melissa Lockard with Steve Berman from the Steamheads a show about the Oakland A's well, Steve, I don't know about you, but I am still exhausted from uh, Thursday's thrilling 6-4 win for the A's and their first winner-takes-all postseason victory since the 1973 World Series, if you can believe that. And it's not like the White Sox, who had never played in one before. The A's have been in a ton of these games. And it started out early like it was going to look like a rerun of some of these other winner-take-all games where the A's were never really in it. But a stirring comeback jump-started by a Sean Murphy home run in the fourth inning. And uh, the A's are moving on to face the Houston Astros in the American League Division Series. What were your feelings coming out of the Coliseum last night? Exhaustion as well. Eyes stinging from air that was unhealthy the entire time. But mostly the A's... Just a rousing win in so many ways, unexpected. Really, I mean, they, they were down 3 nothing, but they could have been easily down by more than that. The way that Petit got Abreu when the bases were loaded was a game saver. And and then the A's, it seemed like, uh, just kept walking and walking and walking. It wasn't like just this amazing offensive performance other than Sean Murphy's home run. They weren't smashing the ball over the field, but they were taking advantage of some wild White Sox relief pitching. And they also, I think, got a little bit of luck, too, from the, on the injury side. And then Liam Hendricks coming in and shutting the door after giving up a leadoff single and striking out the side after that was just an incredible performance based on what we saw the day before when he threw 49 pitches. Yeah, and he must have been, you know, really amped on adrenaline because he hit 100. I think that was the first time all season, if, if I had this correct, um, that he hit 100 this season. He did it a few times last season, but, you know, his stuff looked great compared to the day before. He's got the talent to pitch for another five, six, seven years, but I think you and I could both agree he's going to have a great career in television when he's done because he's definitely one of the more personable interviews in his postgame interview with his mask that had a smile and, uh, printed over his face was one of the more amusing post-game interviews I've seen. But, you know, the moment that that called third strike went across the plate and it was, you know, sort of that backdoor kind of cutting action fastball on a um, called strike three with the tying run at the plate. And it was almost like it exercised the ghost of Terrence Long with that one pitch. I don't know how, how you felt about it, but, you know, to me, to, to see a, a final pitch like that go the A's way was, was a pretty remarkable juxtaposition to how everything has gone for the last, I don't know, 25 years or so. Yeah, that was the first celebration I've seen in person quite like that since they uh, beat the Rangers to uh, make the to win the AL West that year. It was kind of the same deal. The Rangers looked like they were uh, on their way to a victory early on and then you had the Josh uh, Hamilton drop in center field which uh, and then all of a sudden the A's just poured it on 
this game, yeah, you're right. Hendrix was fantastic. His stuff was actually... I was happy to uh, choose him as the, my subject matter for writing. I was like, okay, if Hendrix is available, I'd love to talk to Hendrix because he's such a great talker. And yeah, his stuff was definitely amped up. I mean, he, it was his highest average velocity in his fastball all season, about 96 and a half miles an hour average in game two, and then 98.7 or something <laughs> in game three, which is pretty ridiculous and then afterwards yeah his co- his comments were hilarious you know you could say that he, you could feel his wife scowling at him from the suites and <laughs> center field where the fans were you know he made some other jokes as well he talked about uh you know putting uh, nude in the clubhouse afterwards apparently the a's celebrate big wins with the guy who's uh one of the most valuable players i guess taking a putt in some office putting green sort of situation and he said he missed yesterday's putt but he was able to make the first one earlier in the year, so he's one for two, and that's pretty good. But yeah, he, he's fun. He's definitely a guy who, when you think about uh, popular Australian celebrities and how they're, they're usually affable and fun and kind of wacky, he fits all of those. He gives a lot of life to the clubhouse, and I, I think in general the resiliency of this team you know, was tested all season for a, a variety of different uh, scenarios, whether it was the positive COVID test midseason, the social unrest situation, you know, injuries to key guys. I mean, losing Matt Chapman and still being able to move on in a postseason series and your key contributor from a uh, hitting perspective being Chapman's replacement in, in Chad Pinder is a pretty remarkable reflection of how this unit has worked together. And, you know, the fact that they won so many games this year where they were down early and came back and it isn't a formula that you probably want to stake your, your life on. I imagine it, it shortened the lifespan of a, a manager by a significant number of years living that way. But, uh, you know, I think they were able to pull from the regular season experience in that game. And, you know, Sean Murphy's home run, I mean, it wasn't just that he hit the home run, but that it was so authoritative, I thought, in some ways, kind of set a tone there. And then I, I just thought the approaches, even if they weren't racking up a ton of hits, they hit the ball hard when they did make contact. But the fact that they were getting so many walks and working the pitchers, I thought it was a really great approach because it was a bullpen game. And as Chad Pinder mentioned after the game, you know, that's not a situation the A's usually excel in because they're really good at working starting pitchers. But in when relievers come in, you know, you tend to be more aggressive because you're not going to see them that long. And that gets them in trouble. But they weren't. They, were, they really made these, especially the rookie White Sox relievers, earn every pitch they were going to make. You know, their manager put them in some situations that, you know, perhaps – weren't the best things for a rookie to come in, especially I thought the decision to intentionally walk Chad Pender to load the bases for a new reliever and it's a rookie. I mean, that's just a, a really tough situation for Matt Foster to try to pitch in. They forced the, the White Sox hand by being so patient and so disciplined. And, and when they look ahead to this Astros series and you look at the fact that, you know, injuries have obviously decimated what was a fairly veteran Astros pitching staff, you know, the Astros now have a bunch of um, younger pitchers that are are probably going to be used in maybe sort of untraditional ways in this series, the way they were in that series against the Twins. And uh, if the A's are able to maintain that sort of disciplined approach against, say, a one or two inning pitcher that they use against their starting pitchers, I think you could see some better results than maybe they've seen from these bullpen games in the past. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I think that's definitely could be the case. Uh, the A's, I think, go into the series now sort of with a, an offense that we didn't really see going into this series just in the fact that I think Chris Davis now has earned the right to start every day uh, and you saw that he was getting hit bats against right-handed pitching yesterday he didn't just uh, hit that home run that was so huge but he also was actually had what was it two or three balls I think that went to the warning track to the other way that seemed like he just barely missed and maybe in a different ballpark might have soared out he had a you know a couple hits and you know and he was a guy all year who was trying to struggle to find his swing, but it seemed like over the final month he kind of figured it out. Sean Murphy was the offensive star of the series. He was the only guy uh, who hit over 300 for the A's, except for Chad Pinder, who who uh, I think is going to be playing every day himself as well. So I think that you know Stephen Piscotty might be out of luck here in terms of playing time, and Robbie Grossman might lose a little bit himself. Listella obviously is a guy who you want at the top of the order, and also Marcus Simeon. I mean, his at bats the entire series were as good as I've seen all season. So I think the A's offense, if they can get some contributions from guys like Canna and Loriano in this next series, I think they're actually going to be sitting pretty well. And then of course Matt Olson, who struggled throughout 0 for 9 with six strikeouts, that was a rough series for old Matt. Huge walk with the bases loaded, but other than that, you could tell he was pressing at the plate. Maybe seeing the Astros in a different environment would, would set him straight too. And then also another thing that I think is going to change for the A's on the pitching side, I think now Montas pretty much has to be one of your starting pitchers, right? Yeah, you know, unless they really liked what they saw from him as a reliever and they want to get more usage out of True. him. I, mean, I think it's an interesting situation and in that they can they can go a few ways with him. But I think he does play a role in this next series for sure. Um, and what that role is, I think maybe remains to be determined, but he definitely had that same aggressiveness in that two-inning outing on Thursday that he showed in his Sunday season finale outing. And then, you know, I think he wasn't, maybe he just wasn't finishing his pitches that aggressively. Maybe he was pitching a little tentatively because of the back, and it was finally on Sunday that he was able to let go. But, you know, there was one fastball in particular he threw, I think it was in that first inning, that had some real cut movement to it. And his fastball had gotten really straight, I thought, during that time that he was struggling. And, and it was the first time I really saw it get that, that good movement again. And I think that's going to be huge for him because when that ball has any movement at all, it's almost impossible for hitters to make good contact on it because it's moving so quickly and it gets on them so quickly. And then, you know, he had the good breaking ball again. And uh, I thought those those at-bats that, you know, Lewis Robert took after the home run, you know, on fires, when, you know, the rest of the time, all he saw were those disgusting breaking balls from the A's pitchers. And that was the approach probably that a fire should have taken too. But those kinds of pitches just put him at a complete disadvantage. And those are the ones that if they're able to throw those against the Astros are going to be effective as well. I think Montas plays a bigger role. And one note on Davis, I think, you know, that single he hit on Thursday was hit 106 miles per hour. It was probably besides the Robert and Murphy home runs, the hardest hit ball in that game. And if he had gotten any elevation on it at all, it might have shattered one of the windows in Mount Davis. So, and that was off a right-handed pitcher and it was a 94 mile per hour fastball. So I think, I think the signs are there that he's coming around him being able to be, uh, you know, important in that lineup will take some of the pressure off Matt Olson, who I think is feeling like he needs to carry a bigger load than maybe he should. And uh, maybe that'll help him relax a little bit. 
Talk about exit velocity. It kind of reminded me of what I thought was the absolute key to game three was how they were able to hold Abreu in check after his first inning double that went 115.6 miles an hour off the wall. That was brutal. I mean, you just, that was one of the hardest hit balls I've ever seen in person. It made me remember back in the days. I went to A's game, A's White Sox game way back in the day and sat in the left field bleachers. This is before Mount Davis time, kids, and Mark McGuire and Frank Thomas were taking batting practice that day. And (laughs) my dad was standing uh, 10 rows below me, and I saw a uh, McGuire home run. It was hit so hard it curved probably about 20 feet of of hook in it. And my dad was like, had his hands up without his glove, ready to catch it. And then he saw it coming and then ran away, like fully sprinted (laughs) away from the ball. Yeah, that was kind of the look. That's a reminder when Abreu uh, hit that ball. And I was like, man, Abreu is just destroying the A's here. Not quite to the extent that Tim Anderson is, but but right there with him. And then he went over four the rest of the day. He had guys on base uh, two different times where the A's got out of it somehow and were able to get ground balls from him. So, that was, I think, really the key part of the game because really what they wanted to do, they said it before the series, don't have guys on base when Abreu comes up. And that was one of the things that bit him in game one. And then in game three, you know, they had it happen a couple times where the bases were jammed and they were able to get out of it. That was just huge from the A's relievers. The relievers weren't perfect in this series, but they were very, very good at times when they really needed to be and they helped each other out too. You know, we'll go more in depth in, in sort of previewing the Astros series on Monday when we have our lead in podcast for uh, the ALDS. But one thing I thought that was important was when uh, Joachim Soria got that inning ending double play. I mean, he had not pitched badly in that inning, but he had runners on, on first and second for Abreu because of the Simeon error and a hit by pitch that, you know, almost hit the bat. And he got that double play. And, and his history of not pitching well in the postseason, I'm sure, had been weighing on him at that part, uh, that point. And you wonder how much of a mental lift it'll be that he was able to get that huge out and get a huge clean inning for the A's and then maybe help him confidence wise going into the next series. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back on Monday to talk ALDS.